Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I think it starts at the, it starts at the core. Uh, a lot of times we can find our mind, go to the place of, you know, when I have, then I'll be. It's kind of, it's kind of that, that, that context. Um, when I have a lot of money, you know, then I'll be happy. I'll take these vacations. I'll take these trips. It's like, it's like when this occurs, then I'll be happy. When I marry, you know, then I'll feel connected or I'll have this or that or whatever. And, 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 and sort of like, you know, when, when this happens in my world, uh, it'll produce this effect for me inside. And, and it's sort of like turning it on its head and it's going, you know, um, I'm going to be happy today essentially because I'm going to choose to be happy today. Uh, and I know that sounds so simplistic, but it really is that 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 easy and that simple. Uh, you might need to train it a little bit, uh, practice you know thoughts that are going to produce happiness, beliefs that are going to produce happiness, um, and and engaging activities that are fulfilling. But but it, I think it's as simple as just beginning to decide it's what I'm going to be. You know, I'm I'm going to be happy today. It begins with that with that decision. And and if we make that our compass, right? It's like uh, most people success is the goal and that's the focus and then when they have success then they can be happy or then they can be fulfilled then they can call themselves uh successful or 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 whatever that might be but if we turn it on its head it's like wait a minute the priority or what comes first i should say isn't success what comes first is happiness I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age, led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production. 
to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Joey, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Ah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. You know, I came across your story by way of one of our former guests, first through Steve Sims, then somebody else who he knew who connected me to you. And as I started digging into your work, I was really intrigued by what it was all about and what you were up to. But before we get there, um, I want to start with a question that I haven't started with before. And I have to give my friend Matt Monroe credit for this question because he sent it to me this morning. And I was like, that's going to lead to like an hour conversation. He said, yeah, maybe. So I want to start by asking you, who are the five most influential people in your life? Um, what did you learn from them? And how did they impact the path that you've chosen? <laughs> uh, good question. Um, you know, I, I'd have to say the, the most impactful people in my life have been, have been my mentors. And, uh, you know, as I kind of go back here, we'll see if we come up with, with, with five or not. <laughs> uh, but I, but I think we can, I think we can do it. We'll see. I'd say my, one of my most influential mentors, uh, his name is um, Grandmaster Taejun Lee. He was uh, my martial arts master, and uh, he trained me privately for for seven years. And and what I would say that that I learned from him was uh, the the importance of of fearlessness and fearlessness not being um, the absence of fear. I think a lot of people. They, they want to be fearless and they kind of, they, they, they set out on this journey to try to eliminate fear from their life, which is, you know, just about impossible because it's just kind of inherent within us. And so rather than fear, fear being this thing that we eliminate from, from our being, it's more developing a, a relationship with fear that truly empowers us, which is, you know, wow, you know what, I'm afraid, but I'm going to take action anyway. You know, I'm going to harness this raw power energy potential that I have. Uh, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus it. I'm gonna let it drive me. I'm gonna let it push me, uh, if and when it's present. And uh, and really inside of of that training, I also got got the importance of focus. Um, you know, there'd be many exercises where we would do literally a strike a thousand times in a row. And uh, the ability that it really trained was was a capacity to to focus the mind. And so today, when I set out to do something. Um, I am I'm focused in a way that that I think few people are uh, simply because of that sort of repetitive training and focusing on a single thing and, and also doing it perfectly. Second mentor that comes to mind is uh, her name is Her Holiness Saima. Uh, she's a guru from India, and uh, you know that importance of being connected to to our authentic self, to our spiritual self, to our intuition, to the the core of who we are. Uh, is is what I got. I would say if I were to sum up my years of study with her, um, that would be what it what it is. And why I say that is because uh, if we don't know who we are, we tend to try to find who we are in the world. I think we we kind of seek out um, you know money or houses or fame or success, or we try to find happiness through a relationship, a significant other, you know, a marriage, having children, you know, all these external things. Uh, which are all great, and we can have a wonderful time with them but but when a human being, when we displace our value on them and and we inherently believe that the outside world is going to produce happiness or peace or value on our behalf or for us uh, that 's where I think we start to get a little bit lost and so what I learned there was where I, I learned how to meditate and I learned you know all kinds of different internal spiritual practices. Uh, but most importantly, what I learned and then what I got there was, was I got to know who I am and at, at the kind of core of my being, the essence of who I am, and realizing that that, that is what brings me value, right? If we want to call it our, our spiritual self, our soul, um, the, the energy that we are, the personality we kind of bring to this world is unique from everyone else. And when we truly just sort of tap into who we are as a as uh, you know, as an essence, as an intelligence, as a consciousness, and we take action from that place. Uh, I think the, that which is most important to us becomes apparent, and uh, we we become uh, productive in a very different way there. 
And uh, I studied many years. Again, I think uh, Dr. Luanda uh, uh, Steinberg-Katzman, uh, she was a very, very well-known known psychologist in, in Beverly Hills in L.A. And uh, after doing meditation and study for some time, uh, I wanted to know, like, what really makes people drive? Like, what, what calls them to action? What gets them to do what they do? What truly produces happiness? And, uh, you know, she was a guest speaker at Harvard and Yale, many, many universities. And um, what I got from her was I kind of understood what, what makes people tick, you know, what, uh, what, what kind of constructs our values, uh, what, what is it that has things be defined as important to us, and, uh, and those types of things. And so I'd say the most important thing I got from that mentor in my life was, uh, was a sense of knowing um, what, what drives me. And, and in essence, hey, what's, what's really important for people? And, and I came to, I think, the most important realization there, which is what drives the greatest sense of happiness in life, I think, is, is relationships. Uh, having really strong, productive, connected, deep relationships is what truly drives, uh, drives happiness. That's what pr- produces happiness. And that it's not something that necessarily is, is, is natural to us to you know, engage relationship and know how to be in relationship. It's really something that we have to train. We have to practice it. We kind of have to learn a set of skills to develop and to hone uh, so that relationships really, really thrive for us. And then if I were to go to the last two, I would say, uh, you know, it, it would probably go off the list. Um, I remember my, my father, when I was a teenager, uh, decided I had to take this, this business entrepreneur training course that his company made him take. And it was a Dale Carnegie course. And so I started studying Dale Carnegie's material when I was probably like uh, 16 years old. And I'll never forget this course because I really do think it was one of those inflection points that we all sort of – uh, gravitate to in life, right? We all we all happen to them in some point in time or another. And I remember taking this course, and I just knew I was going to be an entrepreneur after after that that six month course or whatever it was. And I, and it was it was interesting because I was in this room full of people. My father, you know, just the way he is, he kind of you know he likes to wheel and deal a little bit. So somehow he got me in this course for free. And and my understanding is it's like tens of thousands of dollars to take this course. And companies tend to send their top executives and things like this. And I was uh, 16, 17, going to the Hyatt once a week in a room with all of these really, really accomplished business professionals. And uh, at first, I was, I was super scared and I was, I was terrified just to be there going through the material in the course with these people. Uh, but then what I came to realize was that, hey, we're all just people. Uh, just because these individuals own companies and they're super successful and intelligent and they've refined themselves in a particular way, uh, we're really just people at the end of the day. And so I started studying Dale Carnegie's work. I learned a little bit about him and this kind of astronomical success that he created. And it, it, it gave me permission in a way. It, like, um, it, it said to me that uh, that kind of success or that kind of impact, most importantly, uh, was, was possible for, for truly for anybody. Um, and then I put the first person, I would probably actually put the first person as, uh, as my father. Uh, because, you know, growing up, uh, he spent a lot of time with me, and he was he was very constant in showing up with me in a way where it was like, "Hey, here's how I did it, right? Here's how I live life. You know, I got a job, I got a career. Um, you know, I went to school, I didn't finish out my college. You know, it was like it was like you know life experiences he had, and he made a point to presenting that to me in a way where he's like, you know, I've had a good life and I've done these things, and and you know, learn from me, right? These are things that you can do." Uh, so that you don't fall into some of these spaces that I found myself into, so that you can you can kind of succeed beyond me. And it was interesting because those mentors I spoke of earlier, you know, I would say my father and uh, my martial arts master and my spiritual teacher, uh, that psychologist I studied with for quite some time, they they all had that theme uh, where they were genuinely excited about giving what they had to offer and and actually seeing somebody do better than they did as a result. And I would say that that's, um, as a result of sort of seeing that, I think it's what made what I do and who I am possible today, uh, their willingness to sort of be so generous in that capacity uh, and, 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 and sort of let me use them as a stair step, uh, you know, in, inside of that great humility and really 
look to see, hey, could could something greater be possible for him because we're, you know, willing to sort of take this time and care and uh, disseminate this information, these teachings to him. And so those are the those are the first five that that kind of come to mind, and it, and, they, and it seems like they kind of shoot in different directions, if you will. Yeah. You know, you mentioned fearlessness uh, at the beginning of this, and you know I have had a lot of conversations with people around fear. In fact, it's one of the things that I, I come across most frequently that seems to keep people from doing what they they really want to do. I'm curious how uh, one develops the sense of fearlessness that you did from martial arts without necessarily being a martial artist. Oh, yeah, good. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's, it's being willing. I would say the simplest way to, to develop a sense of fearlessness in life is to take on the theme of, uh, I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And, and to start small, you know, it's like in my mind, it's, it's like lifting weights, like anything else. You know, maybe I'm a little intimidated, uh, to, to go to a party, right? Maybe I tend to, tend to like to be by myself more, something like this. And, and it could be such an easy or simple, uh, small step, or it could appear simple and easy to other people. But maybe it's something that, that creates anxiety or produces a sense of uncertainty, uh, you, you know, within, within us. And so, and so just start taking, it's like taking those small steps and going, you know, yes, I'm afraid. Yes, I feel anxiety here. And, and you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And, and it's that process of just doing it anyway that creates not only a familiarity, but, but also conditions a way of being in life. And, and what I think is most important or what I have found to be most important in creating transformations in people's lives or, or generating success um, etc. is is the willingness to take action. Period. Um, you know, I think about it, and I, I if I think back to high school as an example, um, I remember uh, I, there was two things that I was certain I would never do. Right. So it was like, hey, I'll do lots of different things. I'll try different things. And there's these two things that I know I don't want to do for a living. Right. And the first one on the list was um, was public speaking. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the and the second one was I didn't want to act, right? I didn't want to do any kind of acting. And and it's funny because that that's my living today, right? I give an I, I, I teach an average of two to three weekend seminars a month and, and I and I guess speak at a variety of different programs or events or, or, or whatever. So it's literally what brings me the most fulfillment today is public speaking. Uh, matter of fact, it was the only you know, I had I was on the dean's list in college and uh, the only class I failed was was public speaking simply because I didn't get up there and talk I would miss the the class day when it was my turn to to speak and so that was a, you know that's a horrible example of of you know being afraid and doing it anyway and so literally the fear used to be so big for me where I would go uh you know what I just can't get in front of these 20 people uh I'm just going to miss class that day and so obviously you can't pass speech without giving a speech so that didn't work out well for me uh what changed for me was purpose uh I realized that um you know, through different life experiences and education, etc., I, I found a way to, to to serve people. I found a way to make people's lives a little bit better. Um, you know, find a little place of peace in themselves, or, or or something like this. And then all of a sudden, it was that purpose uh, to serve or to support others, um, to make a difference that then began to override my fear. And so, if we're afraid of something, uh, initially, we've got to get inside of a why. Okay, so it's like, well, why is it more important for me to do this thing than not do this thing? And and as soon as purpose was there, I can't say it eradicated my fear um, because I remember. And then then I got into that place of you know, you know, take action anyway, right? And so I remember my first uh, talk that I was going to give. It was at this little tiny community center, and there was maybe only you know supposed to be ten people there. Uh, and I ended up on the radio and told my story, and there ended up being like 150, almost 200 people uh, in this room um, by the time I actually was supposed to give my talk. And a mentor of mine at the time was like, Joey, it's okay. Just pretend there's 10. And, and I was like, I was terrified. I started sweating. Um, I, I thought about literally like saying I had to go to the bathroom and getting in my car and driving away. And in that moment, uh, it seemed like you know a, a reasonable possibility, right? Even though all these people were there there to see me, and I remember I was terrified, and I and I just forced myself to get on stage, and about five minutes in, the fear was gone, and, and I gave a great talk, and it was interesting because I would say for the the next probably thirty or so times I I ever spoke in public, I went through that same experience, 
but the intensity of fear lessened a little bit each time. And so I would literally stand backstage before I would go out on stage and I would literally consider, hey, you know, I could leave, I could get in my car, I could drive away. You know, if I just don't go on stage, the guy out there will figure it out. He'll do something, right? It's like these are the places my mind would go. And I would stand there and I would think about, you know, very reasonably just, just exiting. Uh, and, then, and then I would come to a point where I'd take a few deep breaths and i go, you know what? Yes, you're terrified. What's the worst that can happen, right? You get a bunch of booze. These people walk out on you. You know, it's, it's going to be fine. And I would just literally just, just do it anyway. Um, and eventually, you know, the fear d- decreased a little bit by little bit by little bit uh, until eventually it was just completely gone. And today it's, it's one of the most fulfilling things that I, I get to do in my life is, um, you know, get in front of a group of people, speak, and, and make a difference in their life. Uh, and so, you know, if there's a place of fear where it's like, wow, we get stuck, how do we become fearless? I think first it's, it's let's define a purpose. Why am I doing this? Why is it important uh, that I take this action even though I'm afraid? Uh, and, and, and define what that is so that we have something to focus on other than the fear. Um, you know, I find a lot of people that lose their job and, it, and it's fascinating to me because um, they might get laid off and they know they're going to get laid off, say, in six months. Uh, and they don't put out job resumes. They don't fix up their resume. They don't, they don't apply for jobs a lot of times. And it's just sort of the way fear operates, right? Fear is not rational. We do irrational, silly things when that fear is present. And so what do we do? We just kind of ignore the idea that this job is coming to an end. And then, you know, four months go by, three months go by, two months go by. And then all of a sudden, they no longer have a job. Uh, they're at home. They kind of enjoy that week of freedom or whatever. And then they, like, go into sheer panic mode because they realize they don't have a job. And then they're afraid of not making an income, and that fear is greater than, say, applying for jobs. And so then they start applying for jobs like crazy in kind of this, this panic mode because they became more afraid of not being able to take care of themselves or their family than putting out a resume and whatever that meant for them. And so it's like if we can dial in and we can go, hey, what, what's the purpose? What's the reason I'm doing this? I'm going to be successful. I'm going to take care of my family. It's going to be empowering for me. It might be a fun thing to do. You know, Whatever it might be. So that when fear comes up, number one, I can focus on that other thing, which is why am I doing it? And then second, just acknowledge, you know what? This is the worst case scenario. A lot of times our worst case scenario will never occur and it's actually better than what we think it will be. And once you can accept the worst case scenario, uh, then you can get in that place of just taking action anyway. Because, because once you can accept the worst, worst case scenario, it's unlikely it's going to occur. Um, and, and then you have nothing to lose at that point. It's like, well, if that's the worst thing that can happen, well, let's try it out. And more oftentimes than not, you'll actually, you'll actually succeed. And then it's a matter of just repeating that process is what I found. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. 
And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Earlier in our conversation, you talked about the idea uh, of not finding happiness in all these external things that we tend to seek happiness in, which is, you know, our relationships, our, you know, money or whatever it is, you know, that is really a very Western idea. But then you said, you know, one of the things you found that was the root of people's happiness was deep, meaningful relationships. So I'm wondering how you find the balance between those two things, not seeking this sort of external validation and happiness from, you know, what is the thing that brings the most joy and happiness to your life? And at the same time, you know, uh, being detached from it, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah. Perfect sense. Perfect sense. Um, I think it starts at the, it starts at the core. Uh, a lot of times we can find our mind, go to the place of, you know, when I have, then I'll be, it's kind of, it's kind of that, that, that context. Um, when I have a lot of money, you know, then I'll be happy. I'll take these vacations. I'll take these trips. It's like, it's like when this occurs, then I'll be happy. When I marry, you know, then I'll feel connected or I'll have this or that or whatever. And, 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 and sort of like, you know, when, when this happens in my world, uh, it'll produce this effect for me inside. And, and it's sort of like turning it on its head and it's going, you know, um, I'm going to be happy today essentially because I'm going to choose to be happy today. Uh, and I know that sounds so simplistic, but it really is that 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 easy and that simple. Uh, you might need to train it a little bit, uh, practice you know thoughts that are going to produce happiness, beliefs that are going to produce happiness, um, and and engaging activities that are fulfilling. But but it, I think it's as simple as just beginning to decide it's what I'm going to be. You know, I'm I'm going to be happy today. It begins with that with that decision, and and if we make that our compass, right? It's like uh, most people. Success is the goal, and that's the focus. And then, when they have success, then they can be happy, or then they can be fulfilled. Then they can call themselves uh, successful, or, or or whatever that might be. But if we turn it on its head, it's like, wait a minute. The priority, or what comes first, I should say, isn't success. What comes first is happiness. Uh, what comes first is fulfillment. What comes first is peace. What comes first is connection. And so, I can still strive for you know, making money or uh, a certain kind of success or outcome in the world. And I can still look for somebody that I'd like to date or get together with and all those things. Uh, But I make my priority uh, first, uh, you know, the things that I truly value. And what I find is that people truly value the experience they're having in number one. And then it's the things 
they do, and then it's the things they have. And so, you know, if I'm truly at peace within myself, or if I feel fulfilled in myself, if I'm, uh, if I'm passionate about what I'm doing, I feel passion within myself, then, then that person will say, you know what, I have a great life. And I've had the opportunity to work with, you know, just about everyone from, from every socioeconomic position you can imagine from, you know, the, the top 1% that, that have 99% of the wealth. You know, um, you know, those have been my clients and I've worked with, you know, blue collar workers and I've worked with stay at home moms and I've worked with people who, you know, are extremely poor and, and have no money. Uh, and I've worked, you know, I, I've gotten to work with people all over the world in different countries as well. And, and it's, and it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I, I've met people who have a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of fame. They have family, all the things that we think are necessary to produce happiness in a traditional mindset. And, and I ended up, you know, they ended up finding their way to me because, because they were miserable, right? They literally had hundreds of millions of dollars and a beautiful wife and kids. And, you know, they had all the, the outside stuff as we would think of it, uh, dialed in. Um, but I was there because they were, they were extremely sad or, or actually felt unsuccessful, believe it or not. Um, and then on the flip side, I've been with people who have had those kind of resources and they absolutely love the life they're living. Uh, and I've seen it on the other side of the spectrum. I mean, if you go to a third world country, this is one of those places you can see this so clearly, right? I remember my very first trip to India when I went to, to meditate and study in Varanasi. Um, and I remember it was the first time I saw people with literally nothing. Like the kids in the, in the street were playing with sticks and stones, um, probably wearing one or two outfits. That's probably all they own. And I thought about the kids in the, in the United States, you know, where, where I grew up and uh, you know, they're, they're on iPods and they've got, you know, every little thing you can imagine in terms of, of external stuff. Uh, and what, what, what caught my eye there was, was how extremely happy the kids were playing uh, and, and, and many of the communities were. Um, and I remember when I first went to India, it was, like a, it was like a culture shock for me because I was like, what did I get myself into? Uh, I remember landing in the airport, and I remember this this rat ran across the the airport, and there were mosquitoes actually in the airport. And I thought to myself, like, uh, th- th- this is this is different than anything I've ever known. And I remember the first hotel I got to. You know, I got to the hotel and I went to take a shower because I had this long trip and whatever. And I remember turning the water on, and uh, and like and like sludgy. Um, yellowish water started coming out of the faucet and, and you know, uh, it, it didn't smell great either. And it actually smelled worse than I did at the time. And I remember just feeling this hopelessness because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be here for another two months and I'm like miserable on day two, right? And, uh, and, and as I started to kind of get over myself, you know, get over my, my own misery and whatever, I'll never forget because I was walking uh, to the ashram one day where we would meditate each day um, and this kid walks up to me, doesn't know me, has no idea who I am, and he's probably 10 or so, and he runs up and he grabs my arm, and he wraps himself around my arm, and he's walking with me, and he's got this big smile on his face, and he's just kind of beaming. Like, I looked at this kid, and he was clearly as joyful as can be. And if he looked at me, he, he clearly knew I was not as joyful as can be. I mean, I was pissed off. I was ready to go home. I was wishing I wasn't there. And, and it had to be obvious, right? And, and even with that going on for me, you know, this kid comes up and just grabs my arm. And that, that seemed like a very odd thing. That's not something I would think would expe- that I would experience, say, in you know, Santa Monica, where I lived for 10 years, or where I grew up in Wichita, Kansas. I can't imagine someone just coming up and, and sort of embracing me that way. And so at first, my, my comfort zone was a little, little shaken. I remember looking at this kid, you know, thinking to myself, like, why are you touching me, right? And, and he looks at me and he goes, you know what? And I, and I go, what? What's that? And he says, um, do you know why I'm happy? And it kind of took me back because I was like, what an odd thing for a kid to just come up and say to me. And I look at him and I go, um, no, I don't, I don't know why you're happy. He goes, well, ultimately, I'm happy because I choose to be happy. He's like, here's how I think about it. One day, I'm going to die, and I'm going to have to talk to God or my creator. And I, and I don't want to have to explain to him why I spent my life miserable when I didn't have to. So I figure I might as well just choose to be happy. And, and, I, and I looked at this kid who I would say, you know, uh, before that moment had absolutely nothing, and, and it's like something clicked into place for me in that moment, and I just got it. Uh, no matter what's happening in our outside world, 
it's how we think and it's the way we choose to perceive our reality that defines our experience of it. And, and in that moment, my, my grief and my anger and my irritability, it like kind of melted. And I remember looking at this kid with a big smile and I go, you know, um, I, I think that's a smart thing to do. And, and he goes, well, uh, enjoy your day. I'll see you soon. And he, and he just runs off and goes plays with his friends. And in that moment, something shifted for me and I was, I was truly happy. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, I was, I was in so much grief, pain, and inner turmoil just a few seconds before this kid came up and spoke to me. And now all of a sudden, I was, I was truly at peace, even though nothing in, in my external world changed. And I knew I was still going to be there for quite some time. And I went to the temple, I meditated and whatever, and we did the things that we did. Uh, and the rest of my trip there was ecstatic. And, and, and I really started to be able to see, you know, how closely connected people were to each other, uh, the, the level of connection they had with one another, the appreciation they had for one another, the, the, how tight the communities were there and how everywhere I went, I was really just welcomed with, with opened arms in a way that I never had been before. And these are people that I, I didn't know people I never met before. And so, um, that really taught me that, that happiness is a choice. And so when we, when we decide to live that way, you know, from the inside out, and you go, you know what, life is good, and I'm going to be happy, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of my life, I'm going to be joyful, I'm going to live passionately, I'm going to love the people that I care about in an extraordinary way, and we make that a priority, all of a sudden, we, we have everything. And so we're not taking action trying to get something from the world all the time. And then we actually have something to give the world. And then it's like, okay. Okay, what's really important to me? You know, I, I say to people all the time, name what's truly important to you. You know, is it skiing? Is it hiking through the woods? Is it mountain biking? And, and the things that are truly most important to us, most of us could be doing a couple times a week right now, we're just not. We're just not making the time. And so even if it's just an hour a week to do something that you just love doing, make sure you make that happen and then let everything else occur in life. Go to work, do your job, whatever. And you'll actually be more successful because you have more to give to all those things that you're up to creating. So you said uh, from one of your mentors, you learned what it is that drives people. And I am really curious what that is. And I'm sure probably people listening are as well. <laughs> well, we, we, we could take another six hours to, to, to go over I that. Bet. Um, uh, <laughs> But if I were to, you know, if I think about what drives me and what drives most people, um, if we if we if we if we think of it from the most basic psychological level, it's love and fear. Uh, it's the, you know, wh whatever action people are inside of the the things that people do, uh, they do it to create or because they think it's going to create a greater sense of love or or pleasure or expansion in their life. And the things that people tend to run away from uh, are the things that, that they believe, and believe is a key word there, they're the things that they believe in that moment, consciously or unconsciously, are going to produce fear or some kind of pain and, and suffering in their life. And so if I think about what drives human behavior at the most fundamental level, uh, it, it's not you know, striving for success or looking for somebody that I want to spend my life with or, you know, having this great impact on the world. If I look at what gives us the capacity to wake up every morning and, and be in action every day or not, or what gives us that ability to, to love the life we're living or not, it comes back to the, those basic core elements, which is, um, you know, am I, you know, do I believe I'm taking action in a way that's, that's producing a sense of expansion in my life uh, and eliminating a sense of contraction or producing love in my life and eliminating fear. Now, the key word there is belief because um, a lot of times those wires can get crossed and the thing that we uh, somewhere line up for ourselves or we believe is creating a sense of love expansion in our life actually could potentially not be doing that but we'll head in that direction because neurologically or inside of ourselves, we, we somehow believe that it is. Um, and again, the things that we tend to stray away from uh, is because we believe it's going to produce a greater sense of fear or, or pain in life. And, and that, that plays out at the most fundamental level. Um, you know, it, it plays out every time we get up in the morning. I got up this morning 
one of my rituals is I get up and I, and I, and I go and I, I work out with my trainer. I have a great workout. Uh, and you know, if there's a conversation that goes on for many people, if they, if they make a commitment or a goal, Hey, I'm going to work out every day, or I'm going to go to work out. I'm going to go to work today. And not only am I going to work, work today, I'm going to, I'm going to love the day that I'm, that I'm having here at work. Uh, but it's like a conversation goes, right? It's like, Hey, you know, um, I, I've got an hour here and, and the bed feels pretty comfortable. And so I could relate a greater sense of love and a, and a sense of comfort to, to nurturing myself. Uh, laying in the bed, sleeping an extra hour, and then I could rationalize that, right? I, I worked so hard yesterday, and I, I've already worked out five times this week. Do I really need to work out a sixth time? And so how we line up our belief could, could, could line up in a way where just laying in bed and not getting up is what would, what it would, what would expand love in our life or a sense of, of greater comfort in our life, etc. And we could, we could dial it in for ourselves where we go, you know what, going to the gym today – I'm, not, I'm going to be a little bit tired throughout the day, and it's going to be uncomfortable working out. I'm already sore, and we could connect fear or a sense of, of pain to, to working out, and ultimately, that's going to drive our decision to, to lay in bed. Uh, but I could, I could go through a very different thought process while I'm laying in bed, and I could go, you know what? If I work out, I know that's going to produce more energy over time. As a result of working out, I'm going to increase my focus so that I feel more passionate and vibrant throughout my day. Uh, it's going to create overall health and longevity for me. And you know what? If I lay in this bed, I'm just going to waste an hour of my life. It's like if we tell that internal story, all of a sudden we've got love and expansion connected to working out. And so we're going to drive ourselves to that because inherently we want to feel more of that. Uh, and, and, and laying in bed at that point would mean um, you know, greater fear or, or sense of pain and suffering. And so if we look carefully and we're willing to kind of pay attention to these stories that play in our mind uh, and, and we kind of look at the stories we tell about the things we do, that's a great way to just kind of get to the very fundamental question of why it is I do that thing. Uh, because what you'll see is that you'll always go toward the thing that either you know, produces a greater sense of love and expansion for you and, and, and the perception of eliminating a sense of fear, I will say pain or suffering. And, and typically those two forces are playing out. And, and where the fun comes in, where the strategy is, is, is starting to tell those stories that drive the action that truly produces the results and outcomes that we desire for ourselves. Hmm. Well, let's do this. Uh, I want to spend the rest of our time really talking about um, what really kind of intrigued me about your work, which is this whole idea of conscious transformation in the inner matrix. So can you expand on that and define what it is for us? And then, you know, well, let's talk about how that can be applied to our lives. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, simply, you know, conscious transformation is is living consciously and developing the school, the the tools and the capacity to to transform ourselves. And so, you know, going to a therapist or a psychologist or having a great coach in your life or mentor, all wonderful things to do. But but what I like to do, or or, or what I would say, conscious transformation does, it's a, is, is it's a system of development. Uh, that, that I've created over the last 15 years, studying everything from you know, neurosciences to psychology to meditation to mysticism to spirituality. And I found the techniques, the systems, and strategies just, just, that just flat work to transform people's lives, not just from an internal perspective, but also external, and, uh, and really give people the capacity to kind of become their own coach, their own trainer, uh, their own mentor in time, uh, so they, they can learn how to uh, really dial themselves in in a very conscious way, uh, you know, in a very aware way and, and really stimulate their own shifts, changes and, and, and transformations in life. Uh, when we think of working out, uh, people, people understand, hey, I got to go to the gym and I got to work out and I got to follow the right plan if I want to be in great shape or if I want to be, um, you know, uh, nutritionally fit, right? I want I want to, you know, I want to be really healthy. I got to eat. In a, I got to have a nutrition plan. I got to eat fruits and vegetables, and you know, a certain time of the day. And it's like if I want to feel really great, there's a nutrition plan to follow, and there's a there's a training around nutrition. Um, when it comes to our mind, or it comes to our emotions, and it comes to the place within ourselves that's most important, uh, there aren't a lot of training systems out there to really develop the mind and, and teach us how to think or how to develop a sense of peace or joy or passion if that's what we choose to uh, engage in. And for me, it's absolutely a training. And so Conscious Transformation delivers those trainings to be able to build those internal capacities that sometimes are a little more, more complicated to find out there in the world. 
Well, let's talk about how uh, people can start to apply this to their lives. I mean, what are things that we can do to adopt a, a conscious transformation practice of sorts? Uh, you know, one of the simplest ways uh, to begin is, is 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 around what I think of as vision. Uh, you know, it's like it's like very few people have any idea of where they want to go. And I think people, when they think of vision, they kind of think of the vision board and they start putting, you know, houses and cars and, you know, people on there and the amount of money they want to make. And, and you know, all that's fine to do. Uh, but vision can be so simple also. It can just be, you know, I, I, I experience peace in my life, right? Uh, vision can be that I experience a sense of connection in my life. Or I, I know that I'm living uh, the life I'm supposed to live. And it can just be a sense of knowing as a vision that I want to, want to cultivate. Regardless of what it is, I would say, you know, the best place to start is, is vision. You know, I think when I, when I started this journey, um, I had no intention of, of coaching people, serving people, teaching programs, seminars. Like that wasn't in my mind. Uh, I was in an, an excruciating uh, amount of pain. Uh, and, and, and nothing in my life was, was working out. And I really just wanted to know peace and fulfillment. Right. And so without even realizing it at the time, you know, I picked this, this destination for myself called peace and fulfillment. Uh, and, and I had, you know, people around me who had resources and money and I had people that did it and all those things. And I, and I couldn't say that I knew anybody in my life at that time that would say they are living a truly fulfilled life, that they, that they truly love the life they're living. And so for me, I went, you know what, I, I want to do it a little differently. And I, and I said, I'm going to go find what it is to be peaceful and fulfilled. And so that was, that was my vision. You can have visions around money and other things, but more importantly is the question of, you know, if I believe, if I have all those things and I fulfill the vision, how am I going to feel? You know, if I, if I had to say that I want to make a million dollars and I'm making that million dollars a year, how do I believe I'm going to feel as a result of having access to that? Maybe it'll be successful. Maybe it'll be proud. Maybe it'll be strong. Uh, maybe it'll be passionate, right? It's like, okay, if I have this vision, I fulfill it. How am I going to feel as a result of having fulfilled that vision? And, and, and stay focused on the vision for sure, but make the path about feeling that way every day, right? Make the journey about cultivating that emotion or that feeling every day, because ultimately that's what we're truly looking for anyway, right? It's like, it's like any vision that I choose to fulfill somewhere in, in the, in the background, I believe I'm going to feel a certain way as a result of it. And so, and so start with the root, start with that, that emotion. You know, me, I, I went straight to that emotion initially and I, I didn't go to external things until later on. Um, but, but I found that, that how to cultivate that emotion. And I, and I started to give myself a reference point. And so if we have a vision and we know how we choose to feel, now we have two great reference points that will give us the ability to really assess any place we are in life. I can go, hey, you know what? I choose to be wealthy. I'm not saving any money. Does that make sense? And I can use that, that, uh, that vision and create a context for myself in the moment and go, hey, I should save a little bit of money. Or I can, I can go, hey, how do I feel in this moment? And if I have the vision for deep connection in my relationship and I'm with somebody that I care about a lot and I'm in that moment and I'm just furious with them, right? And I just really want to give it to them. I can take that moment and I can stop and I can ask that question. Is what I'm about to do going to align with this sense of deep connection I want to create? And, and I can create a context for that moment that I'm in and I can go, okay, uh, in this moment, this feeling angry, feeling sad, feeling betrayed, um, it, it doesn't make sense to take action from this place because it clearly will not, again, fulfill that vision that I have. And so what I would say is, number one, you know, choose a vision, choose an outcome that is important, that, that you feel is close to your heart, uh, that, that pertains to you and your life, and then be willing to connect to that not only every day, but maybe several times through the day and check in and go, hey, is what I'm about to do right now, is it actually going to take me a few steps toward the fulfillment of that vision and outcome, or is it going to take me somewhere else? And, and if we do nothing more uh, then start our journey by creating that awareness. We get our mind working on our behalf. And, and you know, we might go, well, okay, once I, once I notice that uh, I'm about to take an action that doesn't align with my vision, well, well, what do I do? And what I find is that if we can do nothing more than just not do the thing that we're about to do, 
that we know doesn't align us with where we want to go and we literally just stop and sometimes do nothing, we start accessing an intuition and typically if it doesn't happen immediately, it will definitely happen over time where, where something else to do will occur to us. It's like, you know what? Just take a few minutes, walk away. Or, you know, rather than do what I was about to do, give this person a compliment. And, and if we want to dial in, right, what can I do to take me toward my vision if I'm willing to take that, that on as a practice, say, you know, once a day or so, uh, and we go, hey, does, does what I'm about to do, does that align with my vision or, or, or something else? And we stop in that moment, we ask that question. Uh, a lot of times questions can get our mind working in a particular way. And you can ask an, another question, just say, hey, what could I do right now? That would align me with the vision and, and just take that micro step toward the vision, hmm. right? And so declare a vision, tune in regularly, consistently and go, hey, am I aligning with my vision with what I'm about to do right now or not? And then ask that question, what could I do that would take me a step closer to the vision? And then don't worry about the thing you're going to do six months from now or the big event to occur. Just take that micro step toward it because the reality is uh, any extraordinary thing in life that's created was created through an accumulation of micro steps that produce that outcome. Awesome. So I have one other question around transformation, and, and this is something that I've witnessed as a pattern over and over and over again, and, and maybe you can give me an answer for why this is. Um, I see three things that happen pretty consistently when it comes to any attempt to make a transformation. Uh, and you know you can categorize people based on whether it's reading books, whether it's attending a seminar, whether it's hiring a coach. There are the people who, in my mind, would get the result that they got regardless of whether they attempted the transformation or not because that's how they're built. There's a second group who you could be the catalyst for, and then there's a third group who are, are basically stuck in this perpetual cycle of you know inspirational Kool-Aid. And I'm wondering why you think that is from your vantage point. <laughs> I love that inspirational Kool-Aid. That was a that's a good one. Or cocaine, um, either one. <laughs> yeah, you know, p- pick your choice, right? <laughs> what is your what is your drug? What is your drug? Uh, I believe that that it's um, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was just speaking with my leadership team last night, and I asked them this question. I said, you know, fundamentally, what makes a leader? You know, what 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 separates a leader from uh, somebody who wishes to support or follow or, or other people. What really, what really defines a leader? And I think that's that first category you spoke to is that inherently for whatever reason, uh, you know, there are some people that just have this inner essence inside and they just go, you know what, I'm going to do this. And, and do you know why I'm going to do it? I'm going to do it because I choose to do it. And I really don't care what it's going to take, and I don't care how improbable uh, anyone thinks that it is. Maybe even the improbability of it kind of gets me excited a little bit. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, they just, they're just wired that way, period. And they just go, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do this. Nothing's going to stop me from doing it. And, and they just have this place where they know they can do it, and then they choose it, and then they're, they're off and running. Um, where it comes from, why it's there, you know, I, I can't say other than I just know some people are like that from a young age. I mean, I know myself, I was just like that uh, from a young age. I remember swimming in the swimming pool when I, when I was on a swim team and I was, I was the youngest one in the pool and I was the slowest one in the pool and I, and I hated that. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, I think maybe some family influence, you know, our experience of life helped to kind of mold this for us. But I just came in with a, with that kind of determination also. And I remember getting in the pool every day and going, you know what, that person in the front of the line, cause we used to, you know, if you've ever seen, seen them, you know, swimming laps in a pool, like in a swim team, they, they you kind of swim up behind each other and then you do a flip and then you swim down the other side of the lane. And typically they put the fastest person in the front and you know the slowest person in the back so that you don't you know keep keep anybody from uh being able to perform at their level and i would swim so hard i'd get to the gutter and i'd throw up and then i'd keep swimming and i I would hide it so that they wouldn't make me get out of the pool and you know by the end of that season i was definitely in the in the the front of the line and so i think some people they they just have that drive where they go hey i'm going to choose to do this and they just know they can do it by way of they chose to do it and and so they do uh, then there's those individuals in that, in that middle camp that I think they, they want to do it and they, they want to step into what I just spoke about, but they're not quite sure how to cultivate it. And, and for those individuals, 
uh, I, it's just about finding the right training. It, you know, like maybe it's conscious transformation. Maybe it's some other developmental program. You know, there, there's several good ones out there. Uh, they've got to be willing to just say, hey, I got to train myself to, to be able to first and foremost lead myself to the fulfillment of the vision that I choose for myself. And if they're willing to undergo that training, um, it's absolutely possible for them. They've just got to find the right training, the right coach, the right support, the right uh, catalyst to, to bring them where they want to go. And so I would say there's a lot of people in that, that second camp that, that you spoke to there. Um, and I really do think it's just a matter of development, right? There's a lot of people that want to create great things in their life, and they literally just don't know how. They're trying. They're, they're, they, they mean well. Uh, they just haven't crossed the thing that's going to be able to take them where they want to go yet. But it's only a matter of time. And then you have that other group um, that hasn't chosen to go there yet. Um, they, 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 they enjoy the experience of life, like the Kool-Aid, right, that, mm-hmm. that, that you spoke about, their drug. They might go to an inspirational seminar. They might take a developmental weekend. You know, they might do some of those things. But they haven't made that choice to go toward a vision yet. They, they haven't said, hey, I'm going to make my life better in a genuine way. And what they're really going for is to have an experience, an experience of feeling better, Right. It's like it's kind of like, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a vulgar term, but it's like, uh, you know, thinking about a vision and imagining all the great things that could happen in life. It, it's like mental mas- masturbation. It, it feels good. Right. Like, like imagining I have, you know, all these different things and I'm powerful and I have a beautiful relationship. It's like just thinking about it produces a, an internal state that, that feels good for me. And, and so some people, that's, that's just where they are for now. And, and if they're honest and sincere with themselves, and, and of course, this isn't going on consciously for them, but they're in the place where they go, hey, I'm here for the experience more so than I am the transformation. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. At least they're having new experiences and they're going out there and, and you know, you know doing, doing something different than just you know, the same thing every day. Uh, but but I know that there's definitely a number of people who line up that way, and, and they're not really about the transformation. Even though they say they are, uh, they don't have that place or that destination they want to go. They're really in it for the experience, and I think that's the that, that kind of Kool-Aid aspect. And I think that people can shift or move from one of those spaces to the other uh, at will. You know, I, I think that we can go from that inspirational mode and go to that place of, hey, I'm going to develop myself and I'm going to fulfill this vision. And then we could step into that place where we kind of become that leader of ourselves, and we go, hey, I'm going to do this simply because I chose to do it. Uh, and I think, I think also leaders that have that within them can get discouraged and kind of fall down into that, that experiential mode, right? Especially if they kind of create a great vision, it's easy to kind of get comfortable rather than strive for the next level. So I think we could kind of you know, take a vacation in each one uh, from time to time if we don't know how to uh, direct ourselves. Well, this has been awesome. Um, really, really thought-provoking. And, and one of those conversations that I think I will have to replay multiple times to get everything I can out of it. So I have one last question for you, which I know you've heard me ask. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Uh, what I believe makes somebody unmistakable is uh, an ownership of of what they choose to fulfill fully, uh, a decision. This is who I'm going to be, and this is what I'm going to make happen. And and when we line that up for ourselves, regardless of, of of what that is for us, uh, we become about that thing, and and that journey transforms our existence, and it's apparent to everyone around us. You know, whether it's you know someone that says I'm going to be an Olympic gymnast, and they just know that's what they're setting out to do and they pick that one thing and they put them they throw themselves 100% into it uh it's like it becomes apparent to everyone that they're about something right and i think the second aspect to that 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 is uh when we get over ourselves right we truly become unmistakable when we get over ourselves and we start taking action for something beyond ourselves in a genuine and true way uh where life living our life isn't just about us anymore but we include um the rest of the world well i really really appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your insights with our listeners this has been really really thought-provoking yeah it's been been great to be here and i i think what you're you're up to is is wonderful and and the access you're giving to people is is really extraordinary through your programs thanks and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that 
next time on The Unmistakable Creative. In terms of the pursuit and the persistence of it, it is exceedingly difficult because on some level, it doesn't matter whether you have that or not. So much of the business is who you know, uh, timing, um, you know, um, the kind of support that you have. And then in other circumstances, there's just what we go through as human beings and how we struggle with um, rejection. Rejection is something that performers and directors and music directors and, you know, anybody who and um, designers and, um, and anybody. Sherry Sanders, creator of Rock the Audition, joins us to talk about creativity lessons from the world of musical theater. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.